Welcome to the Life Success and Legacy Podcast. We're super excited. We are taking on a worthwhile endeavor at Life Success and Legacy. Our intention is to honor Nelson Nash, the man, as well as the infinite banking concept. We're going to create a series of resources, including podcasts and text, as a resource for others who want to truly understand with depth and clarity what Nelson shared in his book, Becoming Your Own Banker, as well as the many seminars and think tanks that we were fortunate to have attended during his life. So who is this intended audience? Well, we will use Nelson Nash's own words. It is written for the layman, not for financial advisors, but all life agents should be thoroughly knowledgeable of its content and practice. So whether you are an individual, part of a family, a business owner, or a life insurance agent, this is for you. So sit back, relax, and we will walk you through becoming your own banker step-by-step so you can reference the parts you want to revisit at your own pace. And we might have a little fun along the way. Welcome back to another edition of our Life Success Legacy podcast. Again, we've got Mike Everett, the founder of Life Success and Legacy, and Chris Bay, and behind the scenes making us uh, making all this happen, um, Michael Crawford. Appreciate him doing all the technical work for us. Um, you guys actually probably would find him the most interesting to listen to between <laughs> between the three of us. He's probably That's the smartest true. out of the bunch of us. <laughs> So um, last we left off, we were talking about creating the entity. Um, we were doing page 36 and we wrapped up on the top of page 37, um, the first full paragraph there. And we're getting ready to head into the second paragraph where it says, study the mortality charts and notice where most all of the dying takes place. <laughs> <laughs> That's a cheery topic, right? Well, it's reality. <laughs> it is reality. I was just doing a, a presentation with um, a client. Uh, just just the other day, and I, I was using an example of someone dying. I said, I'm going to use myself. And she's like, oh, don't do that. I said, oh, trust me, I die all the time in these examples. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Nelson says, out of the 900 alive at age 45, so out of 1,000, only 100 have passed away yep. by age 45. 75% of them die past the age of 65. Mm. I, I can't help but stop because term life insurance, which I know we're going to talk about, is the most purchased, most sold type of insurance. And it serves a purpose. We even recommend term, convertible term policies to some of our clients yep. in such situations. But most of those term policies never last past the age of 65. Nope. And so we're essentially renting life insurance to age 65. It's going away. And then when are we most likely to pass away? Past the age of 65. Exactly. So, yeah. you know, the crazy thing is all the financial uh, gurus out there are telling people buy term and invest the difference. Buy term, invest the difference. So they, they buy these term policies and because they want to protect their families from let's just say age 21 to age 65, when they're in all of these great big earning years. So they end up renting their life insurance policy through term life insurance. And the crazy thing is in term life insurance, what ends up happening? The cost goes higher. Mm -hmm. So they buy, a, 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 literally they buy a 20 year term 
at age 21. They make it to 41. They didn't die. But what happens to the cost at age 41? It goes up. And they, let's just say they get another 20-year term from age 21 to 61, and they didn't die. Guess what you cannot afford at age 61? You cannot afford term life insurance. Now, just for fun, and th this is just an accident that I did this, but about three weeks ago, I ran a half million dollar term policy for myself, a 15-year level. It was $6,790 for a half million dollars. And I go, why would anybody do this? Yeah. So this is why, why Nelson created the infinite banking concept using whole life insurance. And we'll get into that a little bit more as we go along. I could Absolutely. go off, I Absolutely. Could go off big time right there. Sorry. I, I do want you to talk <laughs> about Nelson in the next paragraph. He talks about the whole calculation that the rate makers start with and they talk with a single sum. Yep. And, and, and it's, it's, um, uh, it's called single premium life insurance. Can you talk about what is single premium life insurance? Single premium life insurance is exactly what it says. You can just take one giant chunk sum and you can plop it down. And really what ends up happening is you have life insurance for your entire life. They're guaranteeing that you will have life insurance up until age 100, by the way, because that's the way the policies were created when Nelson uh, wrote his book. And that's what the actuarial tables were all created on. Uh, so basically what they're saying is, you are just throwing one lump sum down. It gives you a big life insurance death benefit. And what they're going to do is they have created, figured out through actuarial calculations that this is all you have to pay for the entirety of your life. But it, here's the big benefit. The life insurance company gets the money all on the front end. That's why they're telling you that, you're going to have life insurance for the rest of your life. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they originally had these insurance policies where they would pay a premium each year. And that was going up and up and up yep. as they got older. And at some point it became unaffordable. Right. And right? they dropped it and they dropped it. And then there was nothing left for their family. Right. Yeah. Okay, Mike, I want to, uh, for our listeners, if you have a book in front of you, we're going to put your finger there. We're going to come back uh, to that part of the book, but we're going to flip over to page 38. There's a, uh, a diagram there. Mm. At the bottom of the diagram, it says modified endowment contract MEC. And we use this diagram in our boot camps and in our webinars. Can you talk through that diagram for people in the, in the, the, the spectrum of life insurance policies? Well, I, I always use the, the word, this is just a, a giant continuum. Okay. So remember they were all, life insurance was all created on this whole idea that if you plunk down one chunk, this is the way it is, but I'm going to, I'm going to just kind of give people a big picture. Life insurance industry has been in place around for almost 260 years. Um, there's a whole bunch of products on this continuum, but we're really going to just touch base on a few of them so you can get kind of a picture of how life insurance has uh, really culminated over, the, over these years. So you've got in the middle of that chart, you've got 20 pay life, life paid up to 65 and ordinary life. Really all three of these policies are exactly the same kind of policy the difference is 
the time period that you pay the premium gets less and the amount of premium that you put in is more. So if you, if you notice the ordinary life is to the right, the, the life paid up at 65 is in the middle and the 20 pay life. So that 20 pay life is you're going to pay the premiums for 20 years. Life paid up at 65, you're going to pay the premiums till age 65. Ordinary life, you're going to pay premiums for the entirety of that policy. So keep in mind, if those were $250,000 life insurance policies and you died, $250,000 goes to the people that you love and care about. This is not rocket science, by the way. So keep in mind, those are all kinds, those all are the same. But then on the very far right-hand side of the policy, you've got term life insurance. Now keep in mind, as you are moving to the right in this continuum, the premium continues to get smaller and smaller and smaller. So go to the far left, you've got the single premium, you're putting a large, large amount of premium in one time. Then the 20 pay life, it's 20 years, the six paid up at 65 is up to age 65. Ordinary life is exactly, it pays the whole life. And then term life insurance is a little tiny premium. But in term life insurance, that really came into the picture during the Great Depression. Guess what? Nobody had any money. So it was a little tiny premium, great big death benefit. But as we stated just prior to getting into this example, most people buy term insurance to solve a need during that time period. And oh, by the way, the life success and legacy team still believes in convertible term life insurance to meet a need to get the death benefit up. Because if you die early on in your life expectancy, we want to make sure that we take care of your family. It's really, it's really that simple. But term life insurance, less than one half of 1% of all term life insurance either makes it to the end of the term or gets paid out in death claims. So who gets all the money? The life insurance company. They're not dumb. They, they know that this is what this is. It's a giant profit center for them. Now, if you look at this, this whole uh, chart, you notice there the modified endowment contract line. This is really what happened during Nelson's whole dilemma of what happened to him financially in the mid-1980s. He realized that what you could do is you could increase the cash value and decrease the death benefit because this works a whole lot better for infinite banking, for banking purposes. But it's still, it's just a life insurance plan. So what ended up happening was this single premium life, it, it, this all really came about during the mid-1970s. The early baby boomers started retiring. And so what ended up happening is these people realized that, you you know, these are the people that came through the Great Depression. They were putting tons of money into their pension plan, retirement plan, 401k. So these guys had buckets and trailer loads of money. And so they didn't know what to do with it. Insurance company goes, hey, we really should create this thing all over again. And so what they did was they created the single premium life. You could roll your retirement out income tax-free, number one. You could live off the interest income tax-free. And when you died, the principal went to your family income tax-free. This was unbelievable. But guess who didn't like that? That wonderful group of people, by the way, were inching towards April 15th right here. 
And uh, the IRS said, hold on, we're not getting our fair share of this money. So in 1988, they created the modified endowment contract. They literally said, hey, if you start taking money out of these things, we're going to charge you a regular income tax rate because we want to get our fair share. This is truly what happened when Nelson Nash goes, wow, we can really utilize this in a way that benefits the client. And so he realized that you could actually design the policy to flood load lots of cash in here, decrease the death benefit. And, you know, we always ask during our webinars and we ask this during our boot camps, if we had to ask people right now in their lives, what was more important to them, life insurance or cash, what would they say? Cash. They'd say cash every time, but what if you could have both? Mm-hmm. And this is exactly what happened when Nelson Nash created and, and learned this whole thing about the infinite banking concept. So what we're doing is we literally, we need cash from right now till the day we die. We only need death benefit one day. So we create a system, an, a, a product, a strategy where you can actually flood load lots of cash in and have access to it, income tax-free. And you get to do this all along your life and almost... I'm not going to say 100% of it, almost 100% of it can be done in an income tax-free environment. You do have to pay taxes on the premiums before you pay premiums, but yet everything that you have available after that can come out in a tax-free environment. So literally, we designed the policies to get as close to that modified endowment contract as possible without violating it because we just want it to be life insurance. We have a lot of people who say, well, based on what Mike just said, that sounds a lot like a Roth IRA. And yes, it does because you're putting after-tax dollars into it. But does a Roth have rules and limits? They yes. do. They and, do. And when you t- can you take loans and control all the terms of the loans against that Roth? You cannot. Is there a death benefit attached to that Roth? So. No. It, it really is similar to a Roth, only better um, because of all these other attributes that we have related to it. So, Mike, let's dig a little bit into uh, the modified endowment contract. Um, you know, we we sometimes will have clients, man, what if, can I put more money into my policy <laughs> during the year? Like I got a bonus and right now I don't have a policy loan uh, balance and I paid my premium for the year already but man, I've got all this money. Can I put more money into it? Talk a little bit about that and the, and the MEC line. Well, so in 1988, uh, the, the IRS created this thing called the modified endowment contract. And really what it did was it stopped people from being able to flood load more dollars inside a policy. There's called a seven pay test. The seven pay test is basically if you put X number of dollars over the seven year period, and, it, and, and literally what they do is they cap the amount that you can, you can put into this. And this is all done through the IRS, by the way. But here's the awesome thing. When, when the modified endowment contract line came along, that was the first and really only major change that has happened in whole life insurance. So whole life insurance, if, if you think about this 260 years, whole life insurance was created 260 years ago, but the um, 
income tax code was started in 1913, which is only, what, 107 years ago? So whole life insurance was created more than 125, more than 130 years prior to the income tax law. So guess what? Whole life insurance is not a part of the income tax code, but guess what is? Ooh, Roth IRAs, 401ks, um, <laughs> money market accounts, uh, mutual funds, all of those things are a part of the uh, IRS code. So the, the crazy thing is when you, when you create these things it, through the modified endowment contract, they're not treated like a life insurance plan. So that means that any withdrawal or any uh, distribution that you make would be taxed on the accumulation. So this is why Nelson Nash says, you know what, when we design our life insurance plans, we're gonna get up and snuggle up against that modified endowment contract line because we want it to be just life insurance. We don't want it to become a, a, a taxable entity. Good stuff, thank you for that. So let's flip back over to 37 where we, where we, uh, where we left off. And, um, and Nelson talks a little bit about, you know, like fire insurance or car insurance, thing, different kinds of insurance that we, we purchase to protect ourselves in case something happens. Right. What people realized is life insurance is different because it's not a matter of if we're going to die. <laughs> we're we're going to die. That's that's the data is pretty clear on that part, right? That's right. So so then he goes into um, the life insurance company saying, "Hey, people are asking for something that's going to last our entire life." And this is where you talked about this ordinary life that you described ordinary life. Mm -hmm. um, and and Nelson then says, and this takes us down a, a little discussion about how we classify things. He says, I submit that this was a gross misnomer. When you classify something, it is based on its major characteristics. The animal, quote, animal they had created had much more in common with a banking system than it did with life insurance. Mm. When you look at the proportions of the whole activity, it is obvious that the banking qualities became much greater than the death benefit quality of a policy. A better name mm. would have been a banking system with a death benefit thrown in for good measure. Mm. That right there in my book, I have it highlighted, underlined, and asterisked. <laughs> I do that, as well. That is the that is the aha moment. I imagine Nelson when it I would have loved to have just been there to observe him when that hit home for him. That is a key, key piece to this whole concept. So I, I'm, I'm going to step over the line as I normally do. That paragraph right there in our world, in our infinite banking world, is a misnomer for many of the agents out there. They get stuck on that. And so for us to be able to hit on this and get people to understand it's really just a banking system. So if you think, gosh, I've got so much to say on that and I don't wanna go off on a rabbit trail, but here's the thing, you're just paying premiums, but then you have access to dollars in an income tax-free environment. 
So the awesome thing about the dividend paying whole life insurance animal, I'm just going to go ahead and use the same word that um, he says that a better name would have been a banking system. So if you think about you get paid on Friday, you put your money in your checking account, and then you turn around and you send all of these dollars out the door and you never see them again. So when we're creating this dividend paying whole life insurance policy that accentuates the dollars instead of the death benefit, you're getting both, not just a banking system, but you're getting a whole life insurance policy to boot that will be in place the entirety of your life. Mm. Yeah. So that whole misclassification thing. Um, yeah. Has, has um, ha created some issues. You know, um, I, I, my wife and I for seven years followed a, the teachings of a financial personality um, with the initials of DR for those who are listening. <laughs> and that, that individual um, is not a fan uh, of whole life insurance. No, nope. but again, I think it's looking at it through a lens of misclassification is we're not looking at our policies as an investment. We're looking at it as a warehouse to store our money where it is safe. It is reliable. We have access to it. The pool rules, <laughs> the rules of the pool we have access to are in our favor. Yep. Our name is the first line on the contract. We have access to those dollars. We get mm. to control the payback process. It's really a banking function that, oh, by the way, happens to have a death benefit on the side. <laughs> and that's, it's really an amazing thing that Nelson figured out. Now, if, if we did just an old school whole life where there was no PUA and we weren't overfunding it, it was just for death benefit. Yeah. It's not going to be beneficial for banking for a long time. Right. Yeah. It'd probably be uh, 20, 25 years before it would be a valuable tool for banking. Right. And, and just this week I had a conversation with a, with a gentleman who his dad bought a whole life policy, little bitty whole life policy, but he's had it for, for over 30 years. He said, <laughs> should I cancel it? And I said, no, no. <laughs> don't cancel it. You spent all this time capitalizing. Let's, let's put it to use. Mm. You can take loans against that policy to start IBC policies. That's right. So, okay. So now I want to, I don't want to, um, I don't think we want to go into too much detail on the, uh, the tomatoes and the potatoes stories. Mm. People can read those. Those are pretty straightforward. But the lesson of this is that, people classified potatoes and tomatoes um, in air. They did. And, and for a long time, people in Europe wouldn't even eat potatoes because they were classified in a way that people thought they were poisonous. <laughs> and Nelson, with his background in, in you know. Uh, uh, history. History yep. and, and, um, and trees and all that kind of stuff. He said, well, yeah, by the way, the greens, um, those can be poisonous. So you don't want to be eating those things. Right. But potatoes were pretty amazing. And, uh, and, and so much so that Europeans went from a condition of thinking that the potato was poisonous to one of large scale dependence on it. <laughs> and he talks about the Irish experienced mass starvation as a result of the potato famine when a blight 
uh, wiped out the crop repeatedly. Um, of course, this change uh, of understanding took place over a long period of time. And I'm turning now to page 38. He says, the world seems to always behave that way. We pick up some screwball idea, spoken just like Nelson Nash. Yeah. Pick up some screwball idea that is based on a half truth and let it grow into a monster that blinds us to what is really happening. Mm. That obviously people can uh, associate and apply to lots of different things. I remember one time listening to Nelson said, if you look at what the majority of people are doing and thinking, history will show that they were wrong. Yeah. So this goes back to one of Nelson's principles. Rethink your thinking. Oh, my. You know, we can apply that in lots of lots of different uh, ways. Going to wrap up with this piece. Uh, he says, by the way, the value of one year's crop of potatoes in the world now exceeds the value of all the gold found in the Western Hemisphere. So those Spaniards that were really looking for gold and found potatoes, they really did find gold in Peru, yes, but it wasn't did. in the form that they were expecting. <laughs> okay, we will continue with this chapter with our next uh, podcast. Thank you all for joining us. As always, we uh, direct you to our website. We have a lot of resources there, um, lifesuccesslegacy.com. Check it out. See what you can find out. If you want to learn more about IBC, uh, there's ways to contact us. We'd love to have you join us on a webinar. Mike does live webinars just about every other Monday evening. And, uh, and then we also do boot camps, typically uh, around one a month. We do a live boot camp which is a deep dive into IBC. And then we also have a huge part of it, about half of it is just Q&A where people get to ask questions and, uh, and our team responds to those questions. So thank you for joining us and we look forward to our next time.